0: Welcome to the Neurodiverse Love Podcast. I'm Mona, and I was married for 30 years, in that relationship for 32, and we didn't find out until our 29th year of marriage that we were a neurodiverse couple. I've been divorced since 2018, and together we have an amazing daughter who's thriving and doing fantastic. And today I have another wonderful guest on the podcast, and we're going to talk about other relationships. And it's really interesting because this is something that I think I struggled with and didn't realize how much I struggled with it because after my father passed away my sister and I both realized that he was autistic so I want to welcome my guest Gigi Denard to the podcast welcome Gigi I'm looking forward to our conversation
1: thank you so much Mona I'm delighted to be here and I'm looking forward to it as well I think this is going to be a fascinating exploration
0: Yes, I agree. I agree. So I always like to have my guests share a little bit about their journey and kind of what brought them to the work they're doing. And so I'd love if you could do that and let our listeners know a little bit about the work you're doing and what brought you to that kind
1: of career path. Sure. So first I should say that, that what I'm doing is trying to help people identify and address Their daddy issues. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I've published a book, Hungry for Wholeness, a call to pursue healing and restoration in your father child relationship. I deliver a Hungry for Wholeness workshop to help them sort of jumpstart their healing journey. And I offer a 12 week companion diary to help people chronicle and continue on their path to wholeness because it's a journey, not an event. Yeah. But I landed here sort of (laughs) uh, in a. In an unplanned sort of way. My background academically is in journalism and law. And after trying my hand at both of them, I discovered that I did not find it particularly fulfilling.
0: Mm, interesting, huh? And yeah,
1: yeah, uh, after all that schooling and all that money, it's kind of like, Mm -hmm. wow, okay, now what? (laughs) So (laughs) um, I discovered that I really, you know, enjoy helping people at a more personal level Mm -hmm. um, where I can actually see some impact earlier on, you know, Um, that's not this long drawn out process. And So because I met my father, I I have my own father's story. So that was part Mm -hmm. of what led me in. I didn't meet my father until I was 17. But one of the things that we discovered upon meeting each other right away was that our writing styles were almost identical. Wow. Yeah, that was pretty crazy and amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So we decided to write our story, just our story. We thought that it would be kind of cool to write in both of our voices and tell our story of our reunion. Mm. So we did that. But interestingly enough, I started sharing it with people, sharing it with friends, sharing it with strangers, sharing it with different people. And it seemed to be so impactful. It spoke to so many people. Mm. I had no idea that the world is so full of people with residual daddy issues in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. You know, (laughs) and that it's having all this impact. And then I shared our story with a professor of mine, one of my journalism professors who had been kind of like a surrogate father to me in college. And he said, you know, if you told, added some stories, you know, for some other people's experiences to this, this could be a pretty powerful book. And I was Mm -hmm. like, huh, really had not considered that. Mm. Um, but once I got into it, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I really did discover a passion and I feel a calling, um, you know, that, that my experience was not in vain, but it's actually to help other people. Mm. I love that experience, you know? Yeah. And so, um, I was fortunate enough to get the endorsement of Ken Canfield, Dr. Ken Mm -hmm. Canfield, who's the founder of the National Center for Fathering. He endorsed the book. And then he recommended me for the inaugural Fathership Conference in um, Portland, Oregon in 2012. And that was my first time speaking in the space and having an audience. Mm. And it was just so incredibly impactful. Just, it was unbelievable to me. But at that moment, I was like, oh yeah, this right here, this is what I was born to do. And so I've been on that journey ever since.
0: Wow. I have never heard that. I mean, that's amazing. I think that the universe oftentimes or some higher power, you know, guides us to what we are destined to be doing. Because Gigi, if you would have asked me five years ago in 2018, when I divorced, if I was going to be doing a podcast on, you know, neurodiverse relationships, I would have said never, not in a (laughs) million years. Right. (laughs) And, And actually this this week that we're recording your episode is the third um, anniversary of the podcast. So we've, I've been doing this for three years. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty amazing how we get guided to our purpose, you know, on earth, you know, and what we do beforehand oftentimes prepares us and we don't even know it's preparing us. Right. Yeah. And this is
1: my father's birthday week. His birthday would have been on
0: Monday. Oh, wow. And my father's birthday week is the week following the week we're recording this. So that's that's, that's, that's really cool. So, Gigi, what is, I'm not familiar with, did you say Father Shift?
1: Yes, Father Shift Conference.
0: Yeah. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about that? Because it may be of
1: interest (laughs) to some folks. Sure. It's a conference that's been held primarily in the Northwest, uh, in Washington State and in Oregon. Um, it is hosted by a church and it invites people to sort of examine their own lives but also how to help others in the community who are facing fatherlessness in one way or another mm. um, so I joined a movement that I really didn't know existed um, in in getting involved with it's it's such a big deal you know there's yeah. there's such a high number of fatherless homes in this country and the impact that it has on society has been researched and documented and pretty evident in so many different kinds of ways. And so the conference was an opportunity of for people to get some insights and in some cases start dealing with their own daddy issues um, and get some healing. And I am one of the few women in this space Wow! So that was very, very unique and interesting. I was the only speaker at the original, uh, only female speaker at the original conference.
0: Um, wow. Yeah. That's phenomenal. Because, you know, I know, you know, there's a lot of talk on social media about father wounds and mother wounds. Yes. And I think we all have childhood oh, right. wounds, right? Yes. And it could be from both parents. Yes. It could be from one or the other parent. And we yes. may not be aware of it. But I think this is going to bring some awareness to folks because I do think, you know, we pick our partners. I know <laughs> Harville Hendricks and his wife, Helen, um, they talk about how we pick our partners based on the unresolved issues we had with one or both of our parents I so that we that. can
1: heal, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> I entirely believe that. I believe that, that we either choose by familiarity or we choose by void. Oh
0: my gosh. So that absolutely is the perfect lead into our next topic for okay. conversation. And that is I'd love if we could talk a little bit about identifying that like you may have had a neurodivergent father mm-hmm. and not have known it yes. which was my case. Right. And how that might have impacted our listeners and you know do you see a pattern of how you choose your partner and other relationships, and how that may all be playing into the things that trigger you that aren't necessarily from the person you're with, but also <laughs> or but could be related it could be, to right? daddy issues, or could yes. be both. Right. Right. So let's let's kind of unpack
1: that and okay. talk about that a
0: okay. little bit based on your experience and expertise. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, let's look at a couple of the ways that neurodivergence can tend to show up in adults, right? Mm -hmm. So let's look at some scenarios and think audience can think about if you've seen that pattern in one or both of your parents. Um, So I was thinking about even something that might seem benign, like finding it hard to cope with crowds. Mm -hmm. So I know that a lot of people who on, on any and in, in many of the pieces of neurodivergence find it difficult to cope with crowds, right? Mm-hmm. So imagine that your father was like that. Mm-hmm. If, if you have that kind of father, then that's going to have impacted your own socialization. Mm-hmm. Even the places that you had an opportunity to go and see and experience. <laughs> yeah, would have been limited by his limitation. Something that he may not have associated with anything other than just, I don't, I don't particularly like crowds. Right. So we're not going to go to the fair and Mm. we're not going to go to Disney world. And you know, we're not going to go to a stadium full of people. Mm -hmm. And so if you thought about all of the experiences that might have been avoided because of his limitations, then you see how that may have impacted even your own ability as an adult to socialize in larger groups.
0: Absolutely. You haven't
1: been exposed to it. It's uncomfortable. It's unfamiliar. And nobody kind of guided you through that.
0: (laughs) Right. No, absolutely. Yeah. That you're looking at this through. And I know, you know, we all we all seek safety yes. you know we're yes. all looking for that place where we can feel comfortable and safe and balanced right so you know i saw this in my father mm-hmm. he really didn't have any friends he mm-hmm. had some acquaintances mm-hmm. He had people and I'm gonna say this and God bless you, Dad. (laughs) Uh people he could control. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) He always chose the place they would go. He always drove. Mm. I mean, always. (laughs) Mm Yes. So so that was the norm. That's what I saw. And and that's funny that you should mention the crowds thing, because we, you know, we didn't really do a lot of Mm -hmm. things with others. He didn't like family events. Mm -hmm. In fact, he disowned his father and his brother and i'm just now reconnecting with them I haven't seen my cousins i have three cousins I haven't seen them for 50 years wow. because my father could not handle the social interaction
1: wow yes i
0: know so so, so yeah. that's
1: a big deal social interactions learning how to how to operate in different kinds of social scenarios mm-hmm. if we don't learn you know so much of what what how, whether we want to or not <laughs> You know, we're all image bearers, human Mm -hmm. beings, right? So we pick up things from, excuse me, from the environment, right, that we're in. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we'll say we don't want to be like this thing about our parent, right? Mm
2: -hmm. And then we
1: find out that we are.
2: Mm -hmm. And we
1: are because that imprint has been made because we lived in it. Right. Right. You know we lived in it and we might even look at it and say, Oh, I don't like that. I don't want to, I don't want to be that, I don't want to do that. But we end up doing it because that's the imprint that has kind of been made on us. And we end up doing it anyway, right? And so those kinds of social situations are, I think, a place where it shows up often. Mm-hmm. How our fathers related to our mothers, I think impacts a great deal about our, our partner choices mm. and other relationship choices um, whether we were happy with that or not happy with that I think plays a big part <laughs> in what happens next yeah um I felt I have found repeatedly in conversations that um, women, in particular, who had fathers who were distant from their mothers, mm-hmm. often then were distant from their fathers. Mm. Um, one one pattern that I've seen repeatedly is that the relationship between the father and the mother has some sort of psychological reverberation to how that father relates to that woman's children.
2: <clears throat> mm.
1: And so even within the context of neurodivergence, so so let's say, um, let's talk about something more like an inability to express affection. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of, uh, you met people perhaps who, don't really smile don't really show much emotion Mm -hmm. um and we may have thought that that meant something different than what it really meant yes we may have interpreted that as apathy Mm -hmm. when maybe it wasn't (laughs) right maybe it was simply a symptom of their own neurodivergent um state right 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 um And I could look back now and think about places where I can see how people have misinterpreted interactions with their fathers Yeah, because they just didn't understand what was going on here. And that often then, but that, that still leads to a wound. So you've, you've got a father who maybe just doesn't show much emotion at all shows very little facial expression, shows little affection, and you think it means apathy mm-hmm. <laughs> or you think it means disinterest.
0: <laughs> right. And then or you disdain. get wounded.
1: Right. Or disdain. Or disdain. Think, correct. Yeah. Yes. Even disdain. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have this wound, right? Mm-hmm. And then you grow up with this wound thinking all of this is true based on this thing that you've seen repeatedly. Right. And like most of us who did not get exposed to neurodivergence right. as we were growing up, right? We have no idea. Right. We have absolutely no idea what was going on here, but it impacts us. So it doesn't impact us just for that relationship with our father. Then it may very well impact us for the relationship, whether it's personal or professional if you end up in a situation where you have a boss who has those same kinds of behaviors, it would be very easy for you to be Mm re-wounded. And you may, in fact, like I said, I believe that we tend to choose relationships that are familiar or that fill a void. Mm -hmm. So again, sometimes we say we don't want, like something, but we still choose it.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: We choose it again because it is familiar. Mm -hmm. It's even in the discomfort, it's familiar. Like I know what the rules are or the parameters are in this because this is what I know. Right. And I think that people do do that, that we choose partners that reflect those things that are familiar, Mm -hmm. even when they are familiar and not necessarily pleasant.
0: I I couldn't agree more. I mean,
1: absolutely. I think
0: um, I've heard this over and over again in couples that I've met in individuals that have come to my support groups and I see it in my own relationship or my own relationships, multiple Mm -hmm. relationships. And, and I think that when we are aware of The strengths and the challenges Mm -hmm. or struggles that we had in our relationship with our father, because we're talking about fathers today, right? Then we can begin the healing process and begin to understand how that relationship and the way we viewed that relationship is impacting our current partner, or if, you know, we've had relationships in the past that have ended those relationships too. So, so, can you describe kind of what you see as an imprint? Like that's not a word that's used a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you used it, and I think it's really important for the listeners to kind of understand what that is.
1: So when I say imprint," I mean that it's it's almost uh, like we're a sponge. And we absorb what our environment displays to us. Mm -hmm. Um, There are things that I, of course, I didn't grow up around my father, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't have a lot of behaviors and mannerisms that I learned from being around him. Now, interestingly enough, you know, there's the whole nature versus nurture thing. Right. Because there are things that I discovered that I'm very much like my father. And even though I was never around him to see it, mm-hmm. but there, are <clears throat> excuse me, but there are other things, other behaviors, other ways that I do things that I may not even like, but I, I, I I'm doing exactly what my mother did. Mm-hmm. It's like, Sometimes I I notice and it's really frustrating. It's like are you kidding me? This used to drive me crazy. You mm-hmm. know, why do I do this? I I'll, I'll give you an example. I'll be transparent and vulnerable here. Um yeah. So for instance, um my the the bathroom sink in my mother's in our house was in my mother's bathroom was always cluttered. Mm. There were always, like, all these things all around it, right?
0: Yeah, sounds like my bathroom.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, this is the thing that's funny. It used to really bother me, right? Growing up, it really bothered me. But now I have two bathrooms, right? Mm -hmm. The bathroom that I use most regularly is just like that.
0: Mm. The
1: other bathroom is not like that at all, (laughs)
0: Interesting. So what is the takeaway for you regarding that?
1: Well, that's kind of what I mean by imprint. I believe that a lot of times we adopt behaviors unconsciously. (laughs) Yeah. We don't set out to mimic. And I think that's what I mean by the imprint. We're actually ending up mimicking what's been in the mirror.
0: Yeah, that totally makes sense. I mean, I see that. My <laughs> father
1: my father was
0: a piler. like okay. he'd Pile his yes. papers. Yes. If you were to see my desk right now, yes. there's like, you know, 16 piles. I yes. know what's in each pile. <laughs> yeah. That used to drive my mother bonkers. Crazy. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I've done it my entire adult life. I don't remember if I did it as a kid, but yeah. Uh-huh. That's so, a perfect example. Yeah, yeah. It is just what I knew it was familiar. Yeah, and yeah. So there are definitely some some patterns and some imprints that we can all probably look at. Yes. That were even though we weren't aware of it when we were growing up, were put yes. in place and now we've carried into our adult life. So how do you think this like impacts us choosing our partners and is there something in particular that you teach folks to go from kind of those unhealthy feelings where you know some of these things may bring anxiety or sadness or anger and go to the place where you can begin to heal you know so you can free yourselves free yourself from what is blocking you from maybe having the healthiest relationship with yourself and your partner or your coworkers or your boss.
1: Right. So let's just say, I believe that the journey for all of us begins with awareness. Mm-hmm. It's so important that we are aware, become aware. at what those triggers are. Yeah. Um, and understanding that our our father was neurodivergent is a great way to do a number of things. One, not only does it just kind of give you awareness as to why, but I think it, at least for me, it gives you more grace. <laughs> yes. You know, you kind of, the things that may have really bothered you, you look and say, oh, wow, okay. I can see where that came from now. Mm -hmm. Okay. This was not, this was not some sort of intentional slight toward me. Right. You know, and so you can start changing your perspective because I think you mentioned earlier, it's the interpretation of these interactions that has caused us pain. Right. Our interpretation is the issue. It's not necessarily What the person did. And when I say that, I'm not suggesting that things may not have happened to people that I would absolutely not condone, right? Right. What I am saying is that how we internalize and how we interpret those experiences is really what is the part that we can fix. Yeah. We can't fix the other part, you know? Right.
2: When I agree,
1: we, you know, but we can fix the part about our own internalization, our in our interpretation that can be reshaped. Mm-hmm. So when we can identify that my father was like this, and now that I understand that this was just a symptom of his neurodivergence, then it's like, oh, wow. So all those things that I misinterpreted. Yeah. I can now see through a new lens.
0: Yeah, and have grace and compassion. Correct,
1: and have grace and compassion.
0: Even if some of the behaviors and and again we're not condoning abuse, but even right. if some of the behaviors were abusive. Correct. And 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 I I will tell you my father was absolutely emotionally abusive to my sister Mm. you know we've had conversations about this he never treated me that way but he would scream at her and say nasty things to her and I really do realize now that it was because she was a mirror of him Mm. like in a lot of ways they were two peas in a pod and I don't think he had that self acceptance and self awareness Mm. even though he was a psychologist Um, (laughs) and, and so she constantly triggered him Mm. and he constantly triggered her. And until like right before his death, um, they had a very, very strained relationship. Mm. And I remember, and this may resonate with some of the listeners, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I remember before he passed away, um, he passed away very quickly. He had a a heart attack and then he had a massive stroke and Mm. like within five days he was gone. And yeah, it was, or yeah, a little bit more, but Um, my sister, because their relationship was so strained, um, he gave her his car. It was an SUV, an older SUV when he got a new one. And she held on to that car way past the time she should have held on to it. (laughs) Because to her, it was the one time when my father showed her her kind of unconditional Mm -hmm. love Mm -hmm. and acceptance Mm -hmm. and she was already in her late 40s early 50s so she was carrying around all of that pain and hurt and trauma yes without maybe knowing it
1: yeah yeah well, it's funny that you 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 talk about this—the the difference that some that siblings can experience. Mm. Um, my father was married three times.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I am the product of his second marriage. Okay. But the marriage that he had to my mother was very different than the first and third.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now I knew that it was really different than the first. He was really young. They got married really young. He was a wholly different kind of person. Okay. (laughs) It was not good. (laughs) Okay. So I knew about the history, you know, once I met him and met my siblings and all that kind of stuff, that's another story. Um, (laughs) (laughs) A lot about the history of the first marriage, but the third marriage though, I, I, you know, I knew his third wife for sure. I have younger brothers and uh, they were very young when I met them. Um, they are uh, five and 10 years my junior. Okay. So, you know, we weren't having deep conversations then. Right. <laughs> right. But later on, you know, my yo- uh, younger brother, when he was in his 30s, we reconnected and he started sharing with me about what was going on at their households with my father
0: Mm, what did he say
1: he was very violent
2: Mm.
1: with his mother something that had also been true in his first marriage but I knew for a fact had not been true in his marriage with my mother in fact that was used to ask about like well did he hit you ever you know is that why you left him no nothing like that Plus the fact that my family was just very vigilant about that kind of thing. He probably have been dead if that had ever happened. But, um, but, But that experience painted a very different picture for those siblings. And since then, I've had an opportunity to debrief with several of them, both older and younger. And that created a very different experience for them and I think I can see the vestiges of that in their partner choices.
0: Mm-hmm. So interesting, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that because I, you know, I do believe that if my father had um, had had only me <laughs> as his mm-hmm. child. Um, he possibly would have had less anxiety and angst in his life. uh, Because I was a people pleaser. Mm. I was in gifted. So I did really well in school. I went to college, you know, I Mm. I kind of followed in his um, footsteps. And my sister, and I could not be more opposite. We love each other. We have a great relationship Mm -hmm. great (laughs) friendship but we couldn't be more opposite she did not go to college she was a a rebellious Uh you know person who fought everything my parents tried to ask her to do Mm -hmm. I remember she moved to New York for five years and she came home one holiday and she had this was before people were actually coloring their hair all different colors Uh she colored her hair purple but it wasn't permanent she put a fake nose ring in her Uh nose (laughs) to just freak my parents out this was (laughs) like in the 1980s right oh that's hilarious yeah So, and she did, she freaked them both out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Mission accomplished. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's important for the listeners to hear that, you know, if you did have a relationship with a parent, but specifically we're talking about fathers, um, that was very different than the relationship maybe your siblings had, you know, it's possible that you were a mirror, you know that you may be the neurodivergent kid or now adult in the relationship or the family and not have known it that you is know
1: truly possible yeah yeah <laughs> and it's you know i i also you know i think that my my father was probably the more neurotypical one mm-hmm. in okay uh, in my case <laughs> 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 but um it is interesting that because i when i met him i discovered how much i was like him mm. so kind of let's let's dial that back a little bit sure so let's say that you were not like your father i wonder how you fare mm. and because this is what I'm 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 thinking. I know for me, I'm trying to sort of play both sides and see it from the yeah. um, for me because my father was not around even though I looked so much like my mother during my teenage years we were often mistaken as being twins. Wow. Um I felt like a stranger. With your mom. Yes. (laughs) I felt like I could not possibly be this woman's child. (laughs) We were so different. You know, it's just like, I don't understand how I look this much like her because it's just not even possible. I actually had created a story in my head. And what was, do you want to share it? I can share that. So, so, because this is another thing that we develop coping mechanisms.
0: Absolutely.
1: Right. So you may have done this with your neurodivergent father. I developed Mm -hmm. a story. So my mother had several siblings and her youngest sister and I were very close. And we also looked a lot alike. So the theory was that I was really Auntie Marion's daughter. But because she wasn't married when she had me, they gave me to the sister who was married.
0: Oh, that's too funny. But that's not the truth, right, Gigi? No,
1: it's not the truth at (laughs) all. But I tell you, that's how convinced I was that I could not be my mother's biological child.
0: Isn't that funny? And
1: it was because I was so different and I didn't have this picture. Right. 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 this person who I so reflected when I met him.
0: Right. Because you didn't know your father for the because first time. years. Because I didn't know my years. father
1: at all. Right. Wow.
0: Yeah. And I think, I think that what you're saying again, will probably resonate with a lot of the listeners because I hear this often from the neurodivergent partners Mm -hmm. who say, I never felt like I belonged in my family or I never felt like I belonged at work or on this earth or whatever. And I just... I can't imagine. I mean, I hear it and I want to, you know, understand it, but I never felt that way. Right. But I think my sister might say that. Right. <laughs> I know my ex-husband yeah. used to say that often, you know, I can't believe I'm back here again. I can't believe, you know, I have to do this, whatever. Yeah. Um. And so when you don't see a parent
1: yeah. that
0: is like you right yeah it's it's hard yeah it
1: can be hard so imagine you've got a neurodivergent father you don't see yourself in him Mm -hmm. he may not be in any kind of place to help you with that right 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 he may not even recognize his own neurodivergence right right and so there you are if you don't have somebody else in the home who can help you navigate through that. I think it, I I think I know lots of people who have experienced this.
0: Right. And I I think what we then do is we pick partners yes. who will help us.
1: Help us. Yes. Fill
0: that void.
1: Fill that void.
0: Yes. Create a relationship that heals that wound or, or so-
1: keeps, keeps
0: kind of you know, making that wound open up again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, picking right. that scab off. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and you know, I'm laughing because I've done it. Yes. Um. And until we figure this out, and then either go find, you know, someone who can help us work through it, like you, Gigi, we will probably feel triggered often.
1: We probably. Um, right. And we'll continue to make the same choices.
0: Yeah. So we got to break the cycle. Yeah. So
1: so like one of the ones that showed up with me Uh was in early, very early on in my dating practices. I started dating when I was 16. Mm -hmm. And most of the guys I dated were much older. I dated guys like 7 to 14 years my senior. Okay. As a teenager.
0: Okay. Which was illegal, but I'm not going (laughs) to,
1: yeah, we won't won't go there. Nobody gets arrested today, but, um, but yeah, but you know, I really didn't understand it then. Right. 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 But then it also created expectations. You know what I'm saying?
0: like Uh, unpack that what do you you mean expectations on your part or their part
1: part, so that you know I started dating in high school I get to college right I've been dating these much older guys trying to get my father need met right Right. then a guy who I might really like but he's like 19 right (laughs) he wants to date me and I'm confused because I'm like I don't even know what to do with this wow because I I have been messed up by those other choices. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because you were looking for something that you yeah. didn't know you were looking for because it was a wound you right. weren't aware of and you right. hadn't healed. Right. 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 So this is, you know, we joke about it. And I think there's even a, um, a podcast about daddy issues, but they're real. Whether you real. are real. Whether your father was autistic, neurodivergent, or, you know, more neurotypical, right. these are real issues. But these I can see things. how the division mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. father and child can be even wider when there's unknown neurodiversity Correct. in the father and possibly and the, the child. Right. So you have a three-step process yes. that you help your um, folks work through yes and I'd love to talk about that if there's nothing else you want to bring up in relation to what we were just talking about
1: no I think that's uh that's a good segue um first of all I want to just point out that the reason sort of the why because you might feel like so I had a neurodivergent father so we didn't understand each other so what's the big deal right right the big deal is that you carry stuff around with you Mm -hmm. (laughs) well into whatever age you are yep and are therefore not living as whole and fulfilling a life in personal experiences with people as you could if you were freer amen Gigi that's (laughs) that's my whole reason right? That's the reason I do this is because I want everybody to be free and whole and living their best life possible, right? So it begins with recognition. So that's step one. Mm -hmm. I take people through a journey of recognizing two things, recognizing the type of father that they had. And the five types that we examine are absent, apathetic, authoritarian. Uh, why am I drawing a blank? We can come back to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because right now I'm drawing a blank. Okay. Um, and as I take you through learning, y- y- you identify which type of father you may have had And can you
0: have a combo platter like I? You absolutely, absolutely. I think I had an apathetic and authoritarian. Uh, authoritarian,
1: That's right. So you absolutely can have a combo platter, and and I also want to point out that absentee doesn't absent. Oh, one was abusive. Um, Absent does not necessarily mean they were not present. Gotcha. It also could mean they were completely unemotional. You know, emotionally unavailable. Right. Um. And and I also then have you recognize traits or behaviors or attitudes or um, characteristics that you may have adopted mm-hmm. or acquired or, you know, like I said, used. It, it ends up being a, a coping mechanism. Right. You know, things that that you see in yourself that we're going to help you connect. Love that, because sometimes maybe somebody is a has an addiction, right? Mm-hmm. But they don't understand that that addiction was born out of a need to try to fill this father hole. Mm. And I'm going to walk them back through to help them make that connection.
0: That's really powerful. Can we sit with that for a second? Because Absolutely. I think there are a lot of folks who are listening who either themselves have an addiction or their partner has an addiction or they both have addictions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we know it can run the gamut. It can be, you know, um, a shopping addiction, an eating addiction, you know, drugs, alcohol, porn, whatever, you name it. Right. Right. And we know you know, that any addictions we have, we're trying to fill an unmet need, a hole yes. in our lives. Yes. And if we can't get to the root of that, then the addiction is going to continue. Right. So what have you seen has helped? And, and maybe you can answer this. Maybe you can't for those that do have an addiction because they're trying to fill that father hole gap, whatever. What have you seen helps them kind of, work through that
1: work through that so let's go through the other steps because i think that will impart answer perfect so you start out with recognizing so let's say i i help you see that this is kind of where this stemmed from Mm -hmm. i go back and i talk to people about when did you start this Mm. what were you feeling what was going on in your home when this started
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, what did it look like what were what was your response to that right so we we had we we bring the link is and then we address so now how do you feel about it
0: so you're looking for them to to say how they feel about the particular addiction or to feel the about behavior. the addiction and
1: about this 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 discovered connection oh okay okay got gotcha. right? so this father hole that you have Mm -hmm. and this relationship now that you see with this addiction how does that make you feel
0: and when you say feel because I am really into not only how do you think it makes you feel Mm -hmm. but literally in your body yes right so somatically how does this make you feel because I can tell you that there are so many things that I recognized in my marriage and in my work relationships that were connected to um, my relationship with my father that brought me anxiety. Yes, in the pit of my stomach. That's yes. where it usually hit me. Yes. <laughs> okay.
1: And so it's it's important to also recognize that because that's the only way you can get freed from that.
2: Mm. I if you don't
1: that. understand the connected dots. Gotcha. So, like, you were able to see that ah, this trigger makes me have this feeling in the pit of my stomach. Mm-hmm. It's important that you know that <laughs> so that then we can talk about so, what is it that causes that feeling? Are you angry? Are you hurt? are you disappointed? You know, and we kind of go through a gamut of emotions mm-hmm. and I want them to identify that because we need to release it.
0: <laughs> Amen.
1: And you can't release it until you know, you have it. Right. Because yeah. people will bandaid themselves and walk around and say they're fine.
0: Oh, I, absolutely. And it's probably, <laughs> you know, the majority of the world is doing it. Exactly.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. And so I, I just want to say this may be step one, Gigi, right. but it ain't easy. It's
1: not easy. No, absolutely okay. not. It's not easy. And that's why I, I specifically talk about my workshops as a jumpstart. Okay. I'm going to help you navigate to some things, but there's going to take some work. Right. <laughs> okay. And it's probably going to take work beyond my twelve week companion diary, but at least this will give you a work plan to kind of continue in this for the next twelve weeks mm-hmm. so that you keep unearthing things and you keep resolving things and you keep releasing things. So then we actually do exercises of release What's out that? loud.
0: <laughs> and that's step two, right? That's repent step two and release. Is
1: repent and release. And it it's all around forgiveness. Mm. Um because it's a debilitating state of being. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't debilitate the person you're upset with, it debilitates you. Amen. And so it's, it's so critical that we're able to find a place of forgiveness. And when I explain it to people, it's like, you may not feel this today, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Because forgiveness is much more about a choice and a decision than about a feeling. Your feelings will catch up with you.
0: Yeah, that's really important. Your feelings will catch up with you. Yes,
1: but the decision has to be made.
0: I think that's really important. And for those folks that are listening
1: that have alexithymia,
0: if they are the autistic or neurodivergent partner and they're trying to make sense of, you know, what happened with their father, I think, you know, a somatic therapist or a coach could be really helpful because with alexithymia, you don't necessarily understand your own emotions mm-hmm. or those of others okay. and so there could be you know a blockage there because they just can't understand oh, or feel without guidance
1: okay yeah perfect yeah that's great great thank yeah. you for that addition yeah absolutely yeah so once we kind of kind of get it all out <laughs> um I during the ex exos- uh during the workshop I not only do we say things out loud, I have people write things down.
2: Mm.
1: Um, so we we do a number of things to help you through it because it is hard. Yeah. You know, it's hard. I know it's hard. You know, I, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I understand that it's in layers. I understand that you're not going to hit all those layers today. And that's okay. But I want you to start digging down so that you know they're there
0: love it so step one is recognizing how this is impacting you and the the attributes that affect you on a regular basis and then step two is the repent and release which involves forgiveness and letting go of that anger and resentment which we all know the body keeps the score all of this stuff lives within our bodies and we can change. We can <laughs> we can rewire our brain. We can change neural pathways. There's so much research on this. So if it's not something you believe, just Google it. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's out there now. It might not have been 20 years ago. Right. You know, the research might not have been available, but it's available now. So is there anything else with step two before we go to the final step?
1: No. So that's kind of that whole process is to just kind of get it out. Okay. We literally take a break because that's usually emotionally draining.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We come back. So now we're we're starting toward the other piece that we need for the healing part. Okay. Okay. So, as a believer, my construct is 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 biblical, um, and everybody doesn't have to embrace that. But I think it's important that people come to a place of knowing confidently that they are loved and can be loved and are valued.
0: Oh, so important.
1: So step three then takes us to a place where we have to know, know that we know and really become confident that we are loved and that we're valued. mm there was a book that I read several years ago, I don't actually remember the name of it, written by Josh McDowell, where he talks about that our the, there's this underpinning for all of us that is required for wholeness, okay. and that is being loved, knowing that we're loved, knowing that we're accepted, and feeling secure. Amen. And he talks about if either one of those is missing, then we're like a broken stool. Mm. And that was one of the early kind of things that kind of started helping me process this whole healing venture. Okay. And understanding that the goal is to get back to wholeness. The goal is to reestablish security, feeling love and being accepted. Because I believe in God, I believe it's really important that as we learn that we are loved by God as a creator, that that it really gives us, uh, fulfills and satisfies something that we just can't get in just from our intellectual understanding yeah. that this is true. And so it's that what we're trying to do is help people get to a place where you really recognize the value that you bring to the relationships that you have, mm-hmm. you recognize the fact that your past doesn't define who you are, doesn't have to continue. Amen. To, you know, create what lies ahead in terms of your relationships, like you were talking about. Yeah. You can create new neuropaths. <laughs> right. You can learn how to relate to people in a different way than you have. You can learn after you've let go of all that anger, you'd be amazed at how people don't bother you like they used to.
0: Yeah, so true.
1: And I do feel, you know,
0: many of us, uh, if we're holding on to that anger and resentment, I know for me, Mm -hmm. it has um, manifested as weight issues. Yeah. And I will tell you, as soon as I started letting go, when I realized what I was holding on to, Mm -hmm. as soon as I started letting go of it, I mean, I lost 20 pounds in three months. Wow. Yeah. And it was like, yeah. And, and it was, I know for me, my addiction was food. I used to tell my ex-husband, my drug of choice is food. Mm -hmm. And I do, my sister and I realized this when we talked about it with each other. My mother and my father um, would keep certain foods from us, but we got those food. This is so weird. And I don't know if anybody's going to relate to this. If we were sick, if we were physically sick, we had a cold, whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My mother would ask us which of our favorite foods we wanted and she would get them for us. She must have from her childhood identified food with love. Yes. And acceptance and yes. nurturing, and yeah. then would do the same with us. So I think for my sister and I, we've always had weight problems.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I think we identified the overeating and turning to food as our drug of choice as the way in which we were giving ourselves love. Mm. Isn't that, that powerful? Is powerful. Yes.
1: <laughs> that is incredibly powerful and probably something I relate to A lot. Okay. Okay. I think for me, it was a sense of uh, security. Okay.
0: Yeah.
1: Isn't it interesting? Yeah. Yes. And and acceptance. Um, Yeah. Because that was that was always a big deal for me. So I help people get to that place where they accept themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, I was talking to someone the other day, and we were talking about. Forgiveness and 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 forgetting, and I and I want people to understand that I'm not talking about erasing memories.
0: <laughs> right, right. You can't you
1: can't do that. Yeah, and I'm but but I am talking about being at a place where, when you think about it, it doesn't hurt you. When you think about it, it doesn't make you angry.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, when you remember it, that it doesn't have the same kind of emotional stress on you right that it did before but you can remember it. you know that it happened right but but I believe that that's so important and then your relationships are able to be so much healthier yeah
0: yeah and and the,
1: the most important relationship and we don't
0: even realize this we're never taught this is our relationship with ourselves
1: correct yes and if
0: we don't understand you know what we're holding on to and the trauma or the hurt or the pain from a childhood wound you know we may not ever have a solid relationship Relationship. with ourselves yes Yeah. yeah so powerful Gigi. so powerful Anything else that you want to share that you think would be helpful for the listeners to hear before you share your contact information and where people can reach out to you?
1: I just want to encourage people to really keep an open mind.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Even if you don't have something at the surface, because I think what you said earlier, Mona, I think most of us in on the planet have had some sort of parent wound yeah and it may not be really at the surface for you but i think it's important that you have an openness to explore it
2: Hmm.
1: just because of the freedom you can find in that
0: yeah oh my gosh that's so important yeah and and we've talked a lot about um Fathers That may have been neurodivergent and not known. But if okay. you have a father wound, if you feel like there's an opportunity for you to heal and to be a better partner and to accept your partner's differences and, you know, unique ways of, of doing things as well as your own you know, reach out to Gigi because there may be opportunities for you to do some work with her and to understand yourself better, to understand what what impacted you from the relationship with your father or, you know, maybe another male role model in your life. So, Gigi, thank you so much. This is the first time that I've spent a whole episode talking about what I think is a, a really important issue for so many of us. So I really appreciate you sharing. You know, Thank st- you so much. Yeah, this was yeah. great. Yeah, uh, It really was. And so for folks that want to reach out to you, Gigi, I know you have a website. What is the best place for people to contact you?
1: That is the best place for people to find me. Okay. Um, just to go to my website. All the contact to get to me is there. Okay. And that is at www wellfedresources.com
0: wonderful wonderful and I can't thank you enough for the work you're doing and for joining me on the podcast and I hope to the listeners I want to say I hope that this um, information that Gigi has shared and the conversation we've had together can be the beginning of a healing process for a lot of us who are You know, whether you're young or old, it doesn't matter. Who didn't know that we were carrying around a father wound, a relationship issue that could be healed, but we just didn't understand why it was a challenge in our current partnership or a challenge in our family. So, you've brought so much to this conversation. And again, I can't thank you enough for the work you're doing and for sharing your
1: expertise and your lived experience it's been such a pleasure to be here. Thank Thank you so much.
0: Thank you.